Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. Welcome to Q. We have been looking back at some of our favorite conversations from this past year, uh, all week on the show. If you can think back a couple of decades ago, 20 years ago, there were few Canadian singers being played more on the radio and on much music than this one. That right there is the unmistakable voice, the incredible voice of Amanda Marshall. Amanda had these songs that were massive. They were played everywhere on the radio, especially, you know, your soft rock stations, songs like Dark Horse or Birmingham. And then there was Everybody's Got a Story and Love Lift Me. Huge, huge songs. And then one day it stopped or we sort of realized it had all stopped. Amanda Marshall took a break from music for about two decades until this past year. Amanda Marshall released a new album and announced a new tour. That album is called Heavy Lifting. It's out now. And Tom Power got a chance to speak with her about it. So here's Tom Power talking to Amanda Marshall. I remember when I got this job, sitting down and talking to my friends, and everyone was very excited, you know, you're going to get to talk to so-and-so. And I remember... Someone saying, you know who you should get on the show? You know who you should get on? <laughs> you should get Amanda Marshall on. Find out where she is. And that's what they kept on, people kept, kept on saying to me. Right. And, or this one person kept on saying to me. But I felt it. And um, uh, I won't get into how much your music means and how nice it is to see you. But th- thanks for being here. How well, are you feeling? I feel great. I really do. I feel really, really good. And I'm so, so pleased to be anywhere, quite frankly. It's been a, it, this has been a, a really kind of overwhelming I guess, what has it been now? Four to six weeks? Yeah. It's kind of been a bit of a whirlwind. Who does this? Like, who does this, really? Seriously. Can we be honest? Who does this? Who does what? Takes two, takes 20 years off? Yeah. And... I mean, who does this? I've I've certainly never encountered it. I've encountered people who have taken, you know, a year here, a couple of years there. But, uh, but yeah. It, but it has been one of the most fun and one of the most gratifying things I have ever done. And I'm so glad I did it. It's been so much fun. Was there a time you didn't think it would happen? Oh, of course. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we came off the road in 2000 and I want to say 2002. Wow. It was the touring cycle for my third album. Yeah, my third album, Everybody's Got a Story. And I fired my manager and it triggered this sort of decade and a half of uh, just legal back and forth that went on and on and on, and it became this sort of chronic distraction. And I was always writing and recording. Um, You know, one of the the big lessons of all of this for me personally was that I never really thought of myself as a creative person. You know, that's that's a real big, heavy kind of term. And I always kind of thought that I was someone who, you know, had some talent and certainly had been incredibly fortunate um, but had sort of, you know, and had, fo- had had been fortunate enough to follow a dream. Yeah. But I never thought of myself as a someone with a creative hunger who woke up every day, you know, 
with an itch to scratch. But this experience taught me that I am a creative person and that that creativity manifests itself in a lot of different ways and that that's what that means. Right. You were kind of home. You you were kind of handcuffed in some ways. I was, yeah. You weren't a really, I mean, I, we don't have to get into the details of this thing, but you, you my, my understanding is even just from, I can infer that you probably weren't allowed to record or you weren't allowed to perform. And, well. Or they, were, they, were, they would be complicated if you did. Yeah. Handcuffed is, is maybe too strong of a term, but what it was was that it was a chronic distraction that bled over into every aspect of my professional life. Yeah. And it was clear to me that anything new was going to get sucked into this sort of vortex of chaos. Oh. And nobody wants that. Nobody yeah. wants this kind of anvil hanging over them all the time. Um, and it just became one of those things that he wouldn't capitulate and I wouldn't capitulate and – we sort of would, we would we would get to like another plateau where you would think like oh you know maybe we're getting close to the end and as it dragged on and on and on there was considerable question in my own mind about whether or not I even wanted to continue because a lot of things happen first of all you get sucked into your regular life you yeah. get a regular life which is something that I didn't really have and I guess you did well enough that you didn't have to work you didn't you yeah could, I was yeah. I mean I was really lucky yeah. I'm also somebody who's not you know I'm not like living an extraordinarily lavish, ridiculous lifestyle. Yes. So, you know, I'm very fortunate and I had a really good support system. Yeah. Um, but that was one of the things too, that that was one of the sort of life skills that I think a lot of people learn as they naturally transition into adulthood yeah. out of necessity. You get your first job, you get your first place, you learn how to pay your own bills, you learn how to, you know, uh, overcome adversity, the natural adversity that life throws at you. Those things you get sort of, you miss uh, when you do this job, particularly when you're successful young, yeah. because there's a natural infrastructure that springs up out of necessity around you, yeah. right? So you have people to do stuff for you. Yeah, you don't learn those skills. You That's don't learn right. budgeting. You don't learn emotional resilience. That's you right. don't learn. So, so you're home, and you're so this this happens. This thing happens, and you're home, and you start going like, all right, well, I I, I have a creative itch. It's there. It's good. Good to know. Mm-hmm. And and maybe I I kind of miss it. Yeah, I mean, my my feeling was that you know, let me let me get up every day and do the and treat this as a job and do it because it's something that I um enjoy and it's something that I feel compelled to do. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what if this is going to be something, but let me do it. Okay. And let me do it in a way that is satisfying to me. Um what ended up happening was that about halfway through, I would say a little more than halfway through in 2017, uh we did a string of gigs that were mostly in Ontario, but there were a couple of gigs out west. I remember hearing about it. Yeah. I remember hearing, Yeah. hey, Amanda Marshall's doing stuff. <laughs> I remember that. She's doing stuff. She's doing stuff again. <laughs> yeah. And we, um, it kind of took a lot of arm twisting for me to do it. My agent called and was like, listen, I've got these dates. It's a very kind of low stakes situation. You're, there are festival shows and they're outdoors. It's summertime. Um which I love, and which I knew he, I think he knew would appeal to me and said, you know, why don't you, why don't you do them and just have some fun and just see, you know, see if there's a demand, first of all, and see if you still want to do this. You're young and you don't really need to retire, but if you want to keep going, he knew that I was kind of like sort of yeah. working on something. And you had gotten clear of the... Of the... At that point, yeah, I was yeah. sort of clear of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we went out and we did the shows. We had so much fun. And it was one of those scenarios where at the end of the summer, everybody, everyone in the organization, the band, everybody, we were all like, oh, this is so much fun. I wish this was the start of something. How did the first one feel? 
The first one was great. For were, me, I don't get like I don't get real like nervous or I don't have that. Sure, but was there like was there a feeling of I bet you walked out on stage and people went crazy? Yeah, people it was pretty small. So but yeah, but people were like, yeah. That must have felt something. Oh my god, they remembered me, that kind yeah, of thing, you know? Yeah. Yep. It was it was very, very the thing that is most gratifying to me is I'm always surprised, first of all, to see who's in the audience. The first show, the thing that surprised me the most was that there were people who drove up from other places. We were a couple from Atlanta. There were like people from places that I wasn't expecting. And I thought, hmm, these songs are meaningful outside of the immediate circle that I might, you know, consider. Um, and then to sort of to watch the audience really re-embrace the songs fervently like really really passionately was amazing to me did you remember your own lyrics <laughs> uh yes i did remember my own lyrics but but that's a good question because i'm currently in rehearsal for the tour and one of the funniest things that we have going on now is everybody trying to remember lyrics and i'm the worst yeah because i'm thinking like do you have to google amanda marshall <laughs> amanda marshall dark horse lyrics like i do and do you have to do that not, not for a song like Dark Horse, but there's a song in the set called If I Didn't Have You. And the first time we rehearsed it, every time, it, for some reason, I have a brain block on the third verse. So our guitar player like had it, you know, on his phone and was like holding it up and showing me. And then the tour goes well and you start thinking, maybe I'll put out a record. Yeah, well, the tour went well. And then um, that was really kind of the kick that I needed. And I, I, I went home and I thought, you know what, first of all, I went back and listened to what we had recorded, and I, it was clear to me that it was something. It was yeah. clear to me that it was a record. And it wasn't done, but it was something. And so we set about finishing it, and that took, I don't know, maybe another 20, 24 months. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And then the pandemic hit. We, we finished it just as the pandemic hit. And now, how are you feeling? I feel, I, you know, honestly, I was saying to somebody today that, I came into this with no expectations. I really didn't. I, I, I am so pleased to have made a record that I love, and it really was so satisfying to me. And and people always say that, like, oh, I, you know, I made a record that I love, and I don't really care what a, I. Re this is the first time for me that that is a hundred percent true. I had no expectation. I didn't know what anybody else was going to think about it, but I, I thought if nobody hears this, that's fine. If people hear it and they embrace it, that's great too. My main goal was to just get out and sort of reconnect with the audience and give it an opportunity. And that's, you know, that's what brought us here. Well, let's let's listen to what brought us here. Take a listen to this. I hope she cheats on you with a basketball player. Hope that she Kim Kardashian the way up. Don't know the difference between a touchdown and a layup. Got you on Viagra so you could stay up. I may sound bitter. I'm a little bitter, just a little bitter. Because you were with her, I'm in Salt Lake City. Up on out the picture. Remember how it was when I was with you, baby. I feel like when that song came out, it was like <laughs> the bat signal for every Canadian who who knows who Rick the Temp is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like My people! <laughs> we were like, huh? <laughs> What's that? What's that? I haven't heard that voice in a while. You know, it was like in, it was like in the beginning of Star Wars where they're like, oh, that's a name I haven't heard. We need like a silhouette with hair on it just <laughs> up in the sky. Yeah. Uh, that is Amanda Marshall. And that was the first Amanda Marshall single in 20 years. I hope she cheats. A, a cover, right? It's a cover of a, uh, a song that was co-written by Marsha Ambrosius, who was one half of Flowetry, who were fierce in the early aughts. They were uh, an R&B duo. It was her and a partner out of the U.K., 
And I knew who they were. I wasn't like a, I, I wasn't deep on their catalog or anything. But Marsha put this song out, I think in 2010 or 2011 on a solo record. And I missed it. I didn't hear it. But then I was shopping one day. It was must have been like 20. It was the last song added to the record. So it must have been like 2018, 2019. And I was shopping and I heard it. And I literally stopped dead. And you know all those like apps that people have on their phones, uh, Shazam. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I, I don't yeah. have any of those. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so I'm like asking people. I'm like, do you know who this? Is? No, nobody knew. <laughs> right. So I went home and Googled it. What you remembered, I guess. What I remembered. Yeah. Well, that lyric was so distinctive. I hope she cheats on you with a basketball player. It was so clever and so badass, and it made me laugh. And it was so um, distinctive that I I didn't have any trouble finding it. And I wrote this arrangement. The arrangement is very different than her original arrangement. Yeah. She's a very straight up R and B kind of hip hop yeah. uh, artist. And yeah, I wrote the arrangement that night. And, you know, sometimes as a singer, you just, you hear something that you kind of feel this like immediate ownership over. Yeah. And I heard this, uh, this song just spoke to me and it made me kind of re-evaluate my own work on the rest of the record, which is why I wanted it to be the first single, because it really did set the tone for the rest of the record. Well, I don't know that much about you. Like your 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 dad's Canadian, your mom's from Trinidad, right? That's right. What kind of music were you listening to growing up? They had a really really wide record collection. My dad was a real fan of just sort of the kind of music he grew up listening to: Beach Boys. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Beatles and that kind Beatles, of stuff. Beatles, yeah, Rolling yeah, Stones, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, all yeah. that stuff. And my mom was a big jazz fan, so she had all kinds of like Ella Fitzgerald, and she was a big Barbra Streisand fan. Oh, cool. Big uh, musicals fan. Oh, right on, yeah. So it was a whole lot of like uh, diversity in their record collection. And I would go through and kind of, these were the days when you would pull records out and lay on the floor and read the liner notes. So they were really, and they were very generous with like, you know, yeah, listen to our, you know, listen to our records and, you know, pick out the stuff that you like and and, uh, take it to your room. I had a record player in my room from the time I was probably five, six years old, yeah. like one of those little, like the suitcase record players. Yeah. And I would take their records and I would listen to their records endlessly. Did you know you could sing then? Did people know yes. you could sing? Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, from the time I was, um, probably, from, yeah, like from the time I was in nursery school. And it's one of those things that when you, when you do something and adults notice and they give you attention, positive attention, you do it more. Let's 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 skip ahead a little bit. So like so there were some stops and starts kind of early in your career in the in the in the nineties. Mm-hmm. You start to get the ball rolling, and then a lot of people heard you for the first time uh, with this. That is Amanda Marshall with. You want to see what it is? I don't want to bring it down. That's a Neil Young song. That's a Neil Young That's song. That's a Neil Young song. I love that song, and I love that version of that song. Man. Me too. Yeah. That was. That's, I'm really proud of that because I arranged it. I wrote that arrangement of that song, and it was such an instinctive thing. Like I really, I felt all those pushes, and I remember it was the first time that I sort of assembled a group of musicians in the studio myself. I must have been. I couldn't have been more than maybe 20, wow. 21. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that that's big for that. So stuff happened after that, right? Well, that I, I was already signed when I did that. I was signed to Sony Canada. Um, I signed a deal with Columbia Records yeah. out of New York when I was, uh, I don't know, I was young enough that my mom actually signed it. So I was probably maybe 17, 18. Um, 
And then that that deal fell apart because I didn't know what kind of record I wanted to make. I was singing in clubs and I was already I already had a manager and I was I was gigging, but it wasn't really clear what kind of record I wanted to make and what kind of record they wanted me to make. And I didn't want to put out something that I didn't feel good about. And I think they sort of lost interest in me. So the thing sort of fell apart. And then I I um I just kept playing. I kept gigging. Yeah. And then I got signed to Sony Canada, and I think that might have been the first thing. That's right, it, it was. was. part of a compilation. Yeah, yeah. Borrowed Tunes, yeah. yeah. And then after that is when, I mean, everything kind of happens, right? Yeah, and that's when, after that was when I went to L.A. and started working on my own record. Yeah. I heard this story. I watched this clip of you to get ready for this interview. Right. It was you on Rosie O'Donnell, right? Right. And I remember Rosie O'Donnell had a talk show, and <laughs> uh, it was like a big after-school talk show when I yeah. was growing up. And, I, and I, I, I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, I guess Amanda Marshall, she was big and famous, and she got to go on Rosie O'Donnell's show. I'm, I'm going to watch it. And it's not that. It's Rosie O'Donnell sitting there and being like, so... Elton John told me about you and oh, right. <laughs> told me I should have you on the show and found Dark Horse or something like that. But I couldn't get the story. Can you tell it to me? So Elton John. You appeared. had the record already done. The record was done. The record was out. And Birmingham was doing really, really well. It was the number one ad at U.S. radio. And we were starting to get some smoke in the United States. I think we were on tour. I can't remember who we were on tour with. We might have been on tour with John Mellencamp by then. But... Um, yeah, so Elton John goes on Rosie O'Donnell to promote his own thing. And Elton John, in those days, I don't know if they still do this, but there was New Release Tuesday. So every Tuesday, all the new releases came out. Yeah, it's Friday and, now, right? Is it Friday? Yeah, okay. yeah right. So on Tuesdays, Elton John would go out famously and buy all the new releases and listen to them. And my record, I guess, was one of the new releases that he bought. And he gets to Dark Horse, and he felt very strongly about this song. He loved the song, and um, and... Sort of, sort of sought me out. And so he subsequently goes on Rosie O'Donnell and she talks to him about this phenomenon, the fact that he goes out and he buys all these new releases. What are you listening to? He mentions the song and he mentions me. And his push was to get um, Sony to release it as a single because at that point it wasn't scheduled for release as a single in the United States because they were working Birmingham. We were booked on Rosie's show Already, when Elton went on, I don't know if he knew that or not, yeah. but we were booked, I think, for like sometime in the two weeks following. Okay. So he goes on and he talks about me. The great girl from America called Amanda Marshall. Oh, I love yeah. Birmingham. Birmingham. But there's a track on it called, it's track four on the CD, and Columbia or Sony Records have got a release called Dark Horse. It's a number one record. And everybody loses their mind, and my mom calls me. And in, these, in those days, there was no social media. People barely had cell phones. So it was very like, Elton John, you know, it was like a game of telephone. Like, Elton John talked about you on the TV. Elton John talked about her on the TV. And about a song that wasn't the single. And about a song that wasn't the single. So it was great. You know, it was very exciting. And I was like, well, that's fantastic. That's great. People will, maybe now people will pay attention and maybe, I don't know what will happen, but that's very exciting. Certainly I was a huge Elton John fan. It was very flattering. I was very, very excited. Uh, we were going to be on the show. And then in the intervening two weeks, we had a gig in Whistler, BC. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting in a hotel restaurant in Whistler one day after sound check, and the maitre d' comes running into the restaurant up to the table and says, "Miss Marshall, there's a phone call for you." And he's gray, like, and sweating. And I thought, someone is dead. <laughs> and he's, and so I get up and I go with him to the booth, the maitre d' booth, and it's Elton John on the phone. Wow. For me. Wow. To tell me <laughs> that I just wanted to give you a heads up 
I don't know if you've heard or not, but I mentioned you on American television. And, you know, I really want to hammer home for you what a great song this is. And David Furnish, his, his husband, is from Toronto. We chatted about Toronto. And he said, you know, I, I, I just I want you to know this is the heartbeat of your record, which to me was the most flattering thing because it was one of the songs that I wrote on the record out of a bunch of songs that I, you know, there were other songs that I hadn't written. Um, and he said, you know, this is really, this is the heartbeat of your record. And, you, you know, you got to push them to put this out as a single. I know this is the number one single in America. It became this thing. And he's done this for other people. He's talked about other people yeah. and other new releases. Yeah. I think I just happened to be the first. And certainly it was incredibly classy of him to pick up the phone. Did you, did you have to, can we play the song? Just play a little bit of the song. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to get to talk to you. It's an unbelievable song. <laughs> well, thank you. It's an unbelievable song. It's it a good remains one. an um, when we when as we were having you on the show, the, our office people were just singing Dark Horse. <laughs> so hold on, do you go to the label and go, "Hey, Elton John told me to release a single," and they say, "Okay." Yeah. Well, it was no. It was it was uh, like Elton John thinks we should release this as a single, and they were sort of like, "That's nice," you know. Uh, you <laughs> what know, does he know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And. Uh, because they were, you know, they were, labels have a tendency, particularly in those days, to be very kind of one directional, kind of myopic. And they were working Birmingham, and that's where we were. Um, eventually, I, I can't even remember if it came out as a single in the U.S., honestly. I think it might have come out maybe as like a fourth or fifth single down the road. But it was, you know, it, it was not, it did not get the, the Elton push that I think Elton was hoping for. From her debut self-titled album, that is Amanda Marshall with Elton John's favorite song, Dark Horse. Coming up after the break, more with Amanda Marshall, including how her heritage, her mixed uh, racial heritage, has informed her songwriting. That's coming up here on Q. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. When my grandmother held me for the very first touch, you thank God I looked like my daddy. And I never quite knew just what she meant, but I knew she was a little too happy, and now I see. All right, what you're hearing right now is a little bit of Amanda Marshall's song Shades of Grey from her album Tuesday's Child. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power here on Q. And Amanda Marshall 
And that song is really singing about her heritage. Her mother is from Trinidad. Her father is from Canada. It's something that shaped Amanda's career and life in ways that were kind of unexpected. So that's where part two of her conversation with Tom Power starts. There's something I've, I've, I have I've was curious about, and I've never, I haven't seen you talk about, I don't want to say I've never heard you talk about it because I'll get an email being like, actually, I talked to her about yeah. it for, actually. for Chatelaine <laughs> in 1996. But uh, I, I haven't seen you talk about it. Mm. On Tuesday's Child, mm-hmm. you sang about uh, being mixed race. Yep. In, in your song, Shades of Grey. Uh, what was it? Uh, when my grandmother held me for When the, my grandmother held me for the very first time, she thanked God I looked like my daddy. Um, I've, I've never really heard you talk about that. And the, that's an industry that likes to put you in a box often based on race, especially in those days. Sure. Did you, did you come up on any of that? Oh, sure. But, you know, I w- it would be foolish of me to sit here and pretend that, like, if I looked like Alicia Keys, we'd be having a different conversation, right? Yeah. So uh, the best way I can describe this, I'll tell you a funny story. And this is the best way, this is the best description I can give you. So in 1990. I don't know, it must have been 98, 99. We're on tour in Europe. We're opening for Simply Red. Remember Simply Red? Oh, uh, yeah. What was their song? Holding back the years. I just wanted you to sing it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. So we're having a blast with Simply Red. Towards the end of that tour, my manager calls me and says, we have a chance for you to open for Whitney Houston. She's coming to Europe. Uh, she was in the middle of the um, My Love Is Your Love tour, which was like sort of the last really big successful tour that she did. And I was, when I tell you, a dyed-in-the-wool Whitney Houston fan. She was the only singer whose posters were all over my bedroom walls when I was a kid. Her first record came out when I was, I think I was like 11 or 12. Yeah. And I worshipped Whitney Houston. And Whitney was obviously somebody whose talent, you know, transcended race and gender. It didn't matter what kind of music you liked. You knew that her, her talent was incomparable. So I'm like, listen... I don't care what you have to do or who you have to do it to, get me on this tour. Yeah. So we get the tour. I am vibrating with excitement. So we have about a week in between the end of the Simply Red tour and the beginning of the um, Whitney Houston tour. So it didn't make sense for us to come all the way back and then go all the way back to Europe. So we just stayed. So on one of the nights in between, there's a big um, industry function, a big dinner, label dinner. And it's me. And two other now incredibly famous, I'm not going to tell you who they were, but very, very famous, you would recognize them, uh, American musical artists. And one of them is African-American, and the other one is not. Okay. So we are, we finish the dinner, and people are like milling about, you know, just chatting, smoking, or having whatever. And I am talking to one of the label executives, and he says to me, American label executives, and he says to me, what are you doing next? So I said, oh my God going on tour with Whitney Houston. I can't believe it. And he kind of says, oh, really? R- Whitney, really? He says, are you, uh, are you sure that's the, that's the right place for you? And I'm, and, like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm very sure it's the right place yeah, for me. Yeah. He said, really, really, Amanda, because you know, those, those audience, that audience, they, they really tend to prefer their own. And, I, and at the time... It, it didn't strike me as anything because I thought, oh, maybe he means like genre. Like maybe I'm a little more kind of, I'm in a different musical lane. So I didn't really think anything of it. But the kicker is five minutes after that conversation, <laughs> I go and I sit down at a table with the uh, African-American of the two uh, other musical artists. And this person says to me, what are you doing after this is all done? I said, I'm going on tour with Whitney Houston. And this person says, oh, you'll do great. Pretty little white girl like you, they're going to eat you right up. <laughs> so 
all of this to illustrate that, you know, I am in a very, uh, you know, unique lane. So anything, any experience that I have had is, to me, uh, illustrative of the fact that people really, you know, people behave differently depending on who they think they're with. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I, it's, I have not made this a, a huge issue in my life or career is because I've always sort of thought about it as being kind of a superpower. You get a tremendous amount of insight into people when they think they're in a room with uh, everybody's just like them. Yeah, yeah. You know? uh, being being uh, uh, white passing. If you're in a room with a bunch of people who are white, they're going to talk. They're going to talk. That's right. Like a white person. You, so you get to see how it. And I have never, ever, ever once in my entire life had a black person express any surprise to me when they find out that I am, you know, uh, whatever, uh, whatever we're calling experience. it this day, yeah, yeah, these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have never once. Yeah. But. Every single white person I have ever met, just about, is expressed surprise, which to me is, you know, that's 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 interesting. It is. It's it's. Uh, thanks for talking to me about it. Yeah, I've, I've never I've never really heard you talk about it too much in press or anything like that. It's funny because very few people ask me about it. <laughs> I, I'm not looking forward to hearing from the Chatelaine magazine. Until <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, on the music industry side, I mean, uh, entering the music industry on a 20 year gap. Mm. It's like it's a whole different ball game. I mean, think about that. When you were last time you put out a record, it was CDs. I know. It was CDs only. <laughs> it was. I remember CD long boxes. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, I have a couple of those. Yeah. Uh, it, it was. It was music videos in much like much music on TV. Yep. Um, I mean, it was a million different music magazines, a million. I mean, it's very, very different right now. How, yep. how, how, do, how do you, you're almost like an alien who visits this other <laughs> world and I can say like, what was it, you know, what's it like what's now, it like? you know? In the old days when you no, made music by lamplight. Not, not, not like that, but like you can, you, because you had a break. Yeah. You get to enter this world fresh from the old world. Yeah. What, what's that like? It's, I mean, in some ways it's really weird. Uh, but mostly it is, and I think this is probably a product of a couple of things, age, experience, and feeling like the whole thing is kind of low stakes. It, it, there isn't the kind of, um, I, I don't feel any real pressure or attachment to the numbers or to learning about, like, I don't understand any of the certifications anymore. I don't know. With streaming, I don't understand yeah, what any of that means. Gold is lower yeah, and like, all that stuff. I don't yeah, get it. Yeah. And quite frankly, I don't care. Yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah. You know, people tell me it's good. Great. If people tell me it's not great, no, well, it's too bad. I don't get it. Um, the, you know, to the, 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 the main thing that I notice is this crushing, constant, 24-7 churn of you got to create content. There has to be content. We have to create content. There has to be content. There has to be this online content. There's, it's just this constant churn. TikToks and TikTok Instagram and, and all that. All that yeah, stuff. Yeah, because in your day, it was you made a record and went on tour. Yeah, you went on tour and maybe you went on like Rosie or mm -hmm. you went on TV or you came on a show like this, yeah. and, right? So that is the main difference, and that's the big. That's probably the biggest adjustment. But I like it. I like that. I actually really. It's not not so much the churn, but I like the. It's a creative endeavor. So I like that part of it. I like the creating part of it. We're going to go out on one of your songs. We're going to go out on uh, Rainbows and Gasoline. Oh, good. What well, can you tell me about that song? That song is, it's almost the other half. I, I keep thinking of it as kind of the other half of Birmingham. Birmingham was a song that uh, was about a woman leaving an abusive relationship in the middle of the night and sneaking out. But this song is sort of the other half 
talking about, you know, with age comes experience, that idea that like when you know better, you do better. So it's about a woman who uh, escapes the same kind of relationship, but before it escalates because she can recognize the signs. And to me, writing about a similar or the same kind of subject from a different vantage point all these years later, to me was really interesting. It was a challenge and it was really exciting. It's a sequel in some ways. In, in some ways, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, you know, one person got out when it was kind of too late. Yep. And this person's now able to see what's about to happen. Yeah. That's interesting to me, Amanda. Yeah. This, is, this has been a joy for me. Oh, thanks. My pleasure, really. Uh, I've been speaking with Amanda Marshall. I never, I, gotta, I, can, I think I can retire. <laughs> I think I can give it up. I was speaking with Amanda Marshall, her brand new album. Your game is Canada's, to be honest, game. This house is on fire. There's nothing but my life to save. I'm afraid to jump, but I'm more afraid of these flames. It isn't in my head. Bruises don't lie I'm done making excuses for you Don't say you're sorry Just tell me so long Stop saying you love me You're doing it wrong You're better someday It's too late for me I look in your eyes And all I see Is rainbows and gasoline from her latest album, Heavy Lifting, that's Rainbows and Gasoline. You can listen to that album wherever you get your music. And before that, you heard Amanda Marshall's conversation with Tom Power and just how genuinely tickled he was to get to talk to her. I do not blame him one bit. The great Amanda Marshall. And that's it for this episode uh, of Q, but there's another one in your feed right now. It's my conversation with musician Shane Ghostkeeper, who put out his debut solo country album, Songs for My People, this past year after making uh, experimental, more experimental kind of music with his band Ghostkeeper that you might have heard of. He has returned to his country and uh, roots music roots, we'll say, to make songs for my people. And he's got this very touching story about how the love between his grandmother and grandfather inspired one of the songs on the record. That's in your feed right now. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.